Hello. Hello. How's it going? Good. How are you? I'm good. Good. I feel really good after our interview today. Yeah, that was a really good one. In today's episode, we are joined by Joel Pilger, mm -hmm. the former founder of Impossible Pictures and an advisor to the world's leading creative studios. Yes. He's also an Emmy judge. That's very I don't cool. know if you knew that. Oh, yeah. Should have asked him. He, yeah, I know we should have. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we'll get we him didn't. on next time. We'll get him. We'll, get, we'll bring him. What back. is it like to be a judge as an Emmy? That's, that, I mean, oh, it's gotta so be there. cool, right? Okay. Like, what do you, you have to watch a bunch of stuff? Currently, he's a consultant at Rev Think, R E V Think, and he guides founders running creative studios, creative businesses, to unleash their awesomeness. Yes. I Which stole is... that from their website. That's really good uh, <laughs> language. So I just copied and pasted. It is good language. And I think like, yeah, what he's doing is is just really great for yeah. the community as, as a whole. For... And our industry, I think, you know, yeah, yeah. there's a lot of folks who just jump in mm -hmm. and there's really never been sort of an infrastructure for becoming a creative business owner. Or Maybe that. there's a I business mean... track for regular businesses, manufacturing, right, hospitality, right. whatever. But creative businesses are very different. They are. They always have specific needs and... I think there's something that's important to be to be teaching creatives. Usually, like right. I mean, we started that ourselves in our yeah. journey. We started as creatives, and then we were like, "What's this business what thing? Do we do? What are we doing? Is that that business that's back there that's been attached this whole time? The whole it's like, time." Did I mention that he also runs Rev Community? which is a whole platform. It's an online sort of society of exceptional creative leaders. They go on there, they share their thoughts. I'm a part of the Rev community. Are you, are you in, are you not in there? Oh, I'm you're not in that be. circle. Um, <laughs> it is cool. Up. It is really cool. It's interesting. People post questions there. They, they, they get answers. It's like, it's like the hive mind of all creative studios. Not mm. all, but, but I think it's Many. like 500, yeah. 600 people now. That's so awesome. Um, that all contribute to answers, questions, and, and just, um, um, yeah, there's a ton of really cool discussions going on. Yeah. 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 So I think for in this episode, like if you're if you're a creative business, this one is really absolutely for you. For yeah. you. yeah. <laughs> if you're a creative person who's looking to start their own business or thinking about doing that, Rev Community is a great place to start. If you're a marketing and communication professional, I would say it's a great way to think about how we're thinking like yeah. be be in our shoes for a second mm. um come join and us come join us they're and, comfy. and they're comfy learn shoes. a little well they're you know sometimes they're sometimes they're hard sometimes. i guess that's true but you know I guess dr Scholes, you put some dr Scholes. Yeah yeah, yeah 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 just yeah. for that extra little cush. a little cush you know, yeah i got gotcha. you <laughs> But yeah, so I, I, it was a great episode. It was a great conversation. And I think um, we, we really hit on some really important notes that, that might be super helpful for people to learn and understand. Yeah. So yeah. without further ado, let's get into it. Let's do it. Joel, thank you so much for joining us here. Yeah, it's a um, I'm really pleasure excited having to have you on. on. Oh, man, I'm so excited to be here. I'm glad we get to do this. Yes, yeah. yes. It's about time. So yeah, really. we have we have many questions for you, but I think I'd love to start with, you know, for our audience who might not be aware of who you are and what you do, can you walk us through a little bit about maybe even your past as a studio owner and more importantly today, what you do now at RevThink? Yeah. Sure. I will. I would say, I, you know, I spent more or less a life being a kind of a creative kid, always entrepreneurial, always mm -hmm. doing sort of my own thing, never really had a boss mm -hmm. of, of much. That led me to launch my own studio 
1994. Mm. So yeah, I'm one of the OGs. <laughs> goes way back before desktop revolution and all that stuff. Mm. One of the golden ages, you know? Yeah. 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 Absolutely. And that was Impossible Pictures. I ran it for 20 years in Denver. And it specialized in design and visual effects. Uh, we did a lot of promo and branding work for TV networks. We work with um, do commercials for agencies and for brands like Starbucks and Dish Network and all kinds of things. And it was a great ride. It was a really successful studio, especially considering today, you know, by today's <laughs> standards, it's like it was 25 people plus you know, a couple hundred crew and freelancers. Yeah. So that was a 20-year exciting chapter, which I closed that business, exited in 2014, mm. and decided to basically say, how can I help the next generation do what I did? Mm. And what that meant was I had been working with a guy named Tim, who was the founder of RevThink. He was my consultant for about a year mm. towards the end of Impossible. And he won this amazing argument where he said, Joel, you should come work with me. Let's go help the entire industry, you know, do what you did and be successful. And I thought that was a really cool story that I wanted to play a part in. Mm. So I joined him at RevThink. That was now nine years ago. And since then, now I work as a consultant, which basically means I talk a lot. I give a lot of advice. People pick my brain. And then I work one-on-one -on -one with a lot of individual studio owners. I run accelerator courses about once each quarter. And then, of course, I curate a community that you guys mm -hmm. know of called yes. Rev Community, yeah. which is coming up on almost 600 owners and creative leaders. That's wow. awesome. CEOs of <laughs> production companies yeah. Yeah. Um, from cool. all around the world, right? At last, last count, I think there are 40 countries mm. in that community that is all about owners coming together and leaning on each other for help, support, advice, mm. all that. And, of course, Tim and I, myself, and our team are in there as well, helping you know people basically learn how to run a thriving creative business. Mm. Do you yeah. find, this is a kind of a quick side question. Do you find that like in the position that you're in now, you're using your creative brain still, but maybe a little bit differently than when you were in the, the owner position of a studio? It's ironically very similar, mm. except rather than me being the owner and, you know, shouldering all that risk and responsibility, I can sort of vicariously <laughs> experience that through the business owners that I work with. Mm -hmm. And people often ask me like, oh, do you miss the work? You know, you right. guys did such cool work. And honestly, the answer is no, mm -hmm. because after 20 years, I kind of did it all. Like yeah. I kind of got it out of my system and it was awesome. And, you know, did the big national commercials and worked with celebrities and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And then after 20 years, I was like, I don't have to do that the rest of my life. Mm. Right. So right. it's That's really cool. a lot more fun doing what I'm doing now, yeah. to be honest. Nice. Yeah. Awesome. That sounds like a cool, like, fresh start into something new, too. Yeah. Awesome. Really? Mm -hmm. So the reason we started the podcast is to sort of teach other people how to think like we do in a way, right? Try to bridge the gap between the people who are making the stuff and the people who are buying the stuff. And so okay. one place Love where it. I'm really curious, in your experience, you have, like, uh, lots of experience, not just in running your own thing, but but also helping some other people. And I kind of want to understand what the hierarchy, what the structure is typically between the people who are making it and the people who are buying it. Like how many people do you believe on average would be between there and what kind of roles are served there? Is it just producers and artists or is it, you know, some other people that you see that, that maybe we aren't aware of or that maybe other creatives aren't aware of? <laughs> and maybe when are there too many cooks in the kitchen? <laughs> 
I'm going to answer the buyer side first because that's a lot simpler. Yeah, sure. (laughs) (laughs) Because if you're a studio, right, the person on the other side of the table who is the buyer is going to fall into maybe, I'm thinking one of three categories, Mm. right? They're they're probably going to be like a creative type of a person. They're going to be some sort of a production in the trenches, making stuff, helping get things done, or they're going to be in some sort of leadership management, executive decision-making capacity. Mm. And on the maker side, if I was going to create some sort of convenient buckets, (laughs) I would say, well, you have creative, which is artists, animators, Mm -hmm. editors, right? Shooters, writers, all these kinds of people. So those are the creatives, the makers that are actually making the stuff. You have producers who are the ones that are making sure it actually all gets done on time, on budget, on brief, right? This is the people who herd cats, as we, as we <laughs> love essential, to say. Essential herding. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Then I would say you have people in what I would call operations. Mm. So you have administrative people. You have the person making sure all the computers are running. You have the person running the books and balancing the checkbooks. Mm. You have someone you know, answering the phones, keeping up with all of the sort of behind-the-scenes systems that make a studio run. And then the other category I would say overall is leadership and ownership. You have uh, often with a creative company, they are typically owner driven. Mm. And that owner is probably a creative who is either becoming a business person or is finding someone and delegating those responsibilities. But still that leadership and ownership position is really vital for a studio. So that, that would be my my quick stab at answering that question. Yeah, no, no, that's great. That's great. That's That gives our creative listeners a really good rundown of what they might be missing. I guess mm-hmm. that's, that was my whole intention there with the question is like, because other creative yeah. people, I'm sure I'm listening, like, you know, there might be, they might be starting at that ownership artist level and then starting to think, oh, wait, I, maybe I do need a producer. Maybe I do need mm-hmm. these other things that, that you might've mentioned. Right. Well, yeah. I will, I will, I will tell a bit from my story because I remember when my company was one person and I was hiring my first person Mm -hmm. and that was an animator Mm. that I hired. And I remember picturing in my mind, you know, maybe in a few years when my company has grown, we'll be about six people. And I imagined in my head, me and five other animators. Mm -hmm. And I, and I look back a few years later and laughed because that is not at all what transpired. Right. 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 There were different roles, right? Like and the day that I hired my first producer, which was probably employee number four, Mm. was the day that so much changed and so much Mm. improved. So there's this, um, I think, fallacy that at least I believed that, oh, a creative company is made up of a bunch of creatives (laughs) doing the work. Mm -hmm. And that that's that's certainly the bulk of of people inside of a company, but that's by no means all. Yeah. Right, right, right. No, that's yeah. totally fair. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. So yeah, so let's shift gears a little bit. So uh, those people who are trying to run a creative business, again, in your experience working with all these folks, I see the RFP is like on the business side, the one thing that people are looking to put out there to get work done from from companies like ours, from companies like the ones Right. The There's ones many different with. avenues with which someone can get work, but an RFP, right. a request for proposal, is one of those ways in which, and I'm sure you've experienced over over the course of your time as well. And what we've learned, I, I don't know what you have come to see, or m- maybe it's just my inexperience with doing them as, as much, but there's some common issues that I see as I read them 
that request, whatever they're looking for, is not in the language that I am expecting to see. Mm-hmm. Right? That like mm-hmm. I, I, it doesn't quite click. You're asking for this, but that's not actually what you should be asking for. You should be asking for this other thing. So, or even uh, as a quick aside story, a little yeah. bit too. Like in an RFP we were doing recently, we were going to partner with another studio to work on this. And I remember in that moment we were saying that the RFP was requesting to lay out an entire production schedule for what would happen, knowing that. You know, in in the back of our minds, we're like, okay, there's going to be a million more questions to actually get to a, a true production schedule in that sense. So we're kind of doubling of the work in that process, yeah. right? So, I, yeah, I'm. Yeah. So, so my question really is leading towards like, what can people do to better understand or or better write an RFP or something like that? Like, what? How can we help people <laughs> write better things? Like, I guess that's where I'm where I'm coming from. Yeah. How can that's we a hard them? question. Yeah. Well. Yeah. <laughs> And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I don't think you're going to have all the answers here, right. <laughs> but what are some of the tips that you can give out? Yeah. Well, you know, the old saying, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink, <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, comes to mind. Right. So uh, first of all, I'm going to say, yes, there are many ways that a studio goes about getting project work and, mm-hmm. and getting clients. In my experience, most of the studios that I work with, RFPs are the vast minority mm-hmm. of ways that they get work. Yeah. Okay. Because that process, in most cases, I'm generalizing here, is broken. Mm-hmm. It just is, okay? Because this is what many people would call the pitch process, mm-hmm. where a company sends out a request for proposal and says, hey, Catherine, we'd love for you guys to jump into this competitive pitch situation. Show <laughs> yep. us what you would do. We're going to look at three or four or five other creative studios and decide who wins. Mm. and There's something actually fundamentally flawed about that method, but trying to convince that person at that stage is a waste of time. Mm. It's not actually constructive because they've generally been tasked by their superior, go get a bunch of bids from a bunch of studios, and often the mandate is something like, and and find the the best one at the lowest price. Right, right. It's that kind of a thing, right? (laughs) Totally. So my, I mean, gosh, I let's just say this: this whole topic, we could easily spend an hour <laughs> oh, to sure. just scratch yeah, yeah. the surface on this topic, okay? Because I have a, I will say, I when I found early on in my career that when these RFP or pitch opportunities would come along, when they were smaller jobs, say they were like a four-figure, five-figure job, mm-hmm. okay that we would put together some ideas and some information and present it and we'd get the job. And it was like, yay, our idea, they liked our ideas. We, we move forward. Later, when we started getting into bigger opportunities and bigger clients, we started losing. Mm-hmm. And it was really painful because when someone like Disney invites you into a $200,000, $300,000 opportunity, man, you go all in. You're like, yeah, I want to yeah. win this thing. And then when you lose, it's absolutely demoralizing and crushing. Mm. Then when it happens to you a few more times, (laughs) you have to start being really honest and look in the mirror and say, wait a minute, are the clients abusing me or am I allowing myself to be abused? Mm. Mm -hmm. That caused me to do a whole rethink and rethink the way that I was going through the RFP and pitch process. But what I would say is the challenge is this. Even though I know when a client comes to you with an RFP, they look 
really great. They seem really smart. They sound like they they have their act together. In most cases, they don't. Mm. They're posturing, they're posing, they're hoping they don't look stupid. Mm -hmm. So they're putting a document in front of you that they downloaded from the internet. They downloaded an RFP template. (laughs) Their boss said, go make something, right? (laughs) Right. Yeah, 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 exactly. And then they put a bunch of stuff in there and they're trying to sound smart. And then you get it and you're the expert, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. You're actually the expert. You you know more about solving this problem than the person who sent it to you. That's right. why they sent it to you. Right, right. So you get this document and you go, uh, wait, what? Why do they need <laughs> and why would they ask for a schedule when okay? So what I would encourage you to do is to reframe the conversation mm. and think you don't necessarily want to be super accommodating and super service oriented. Mm. It's more like this. Hey, we got your RFP. We have some issues and, and some questions about it. Can we jump on a call? And this is where you would say to them, hey, there's some things in here that don't really make sense that we don't really understand. We would love to talk about these things. But before we do, I'd love to ask some questions about how this process is going to go down to see whether or not we're even a fit. Mm, right. And then you start qualifying them. And what you're also doing as you qualify them to make sure that they're even possibly a fit yeah, yeah. is you are changing your position in the conversation from the order taker to the expert. Mm-hmm. So that at some point down the road, Catherine, you're going to say to that person, okay, by the way, so we're totally down to jump into the RFP. We're super excited on three conditions. Mm. One, we're not going to be providing you a production schedule. Right. That just doesn't make any sense. Number two, we're not going to be doing this. Number three, we're, we're going to do this instead of that. And, and you say to that person, does that sound good? Mm-hmm. And what did I just do? I just put that person in the position of, are you going to follow my lead or not? Because mm-hmm. if they say, no, 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 you know, you got to <laughs> do this, you got to do that. Mm-hmm. They're basically saying, you're not the expert here. I'm smarter than you. Or they're also telling you, you're really the third bid. Mm-hmm. I don't really yeah. care. I don't right, really care what right. you think. I don't really care what you do because you're not going to win this anyways. This is a formality. Right, exactly. The There's that sending, idea. You yeah. want to get out. Yeah. You want to get out. Yeah. You hear that, creatives? You hear that? <laughs> yeah. No, no, that is a super helpful answer. Yeah, I think that, helpful. that makes a yeah, lot of yeah, sense because yeah, yeah. I, I think there's something to the idea that like, to I feel like you're you're touching on a humanity aspect here of like coming out of that situation oh, yeah. with your morals and your values still intact. So you're not like playing this constant game of like, I'll put in everything and anything into this proposal in hopes that I get something when, you know, we've, we've done RFPs in the past where we like track our time on it to be like, how much time did we actually spend on this to then get a no? And do, could that time oh, and man. effort have been put towards anything else? Anything right? else. Yeah, literally anything else. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so first of all, one quick, simple technique I'll share. Yeah, please. Is by default, I want everyone listening that when somebody calls you and says, hey, I want to invite you into this pitch or this RFP, your default response should be, oh, you know, we don't typically jump into RFPs or, or competitive pitches. That you, I want you to just practice that, practice that, and practice that. <laughs> mm. Just say it, say it, say it until it comes out like smooth as silk. Right. Okay. Right. Like, yeah, we don't normally do that because you want to start putting that person, start kind of renegotiating this power mm. structure in mm-hmm. the relationship. Yeah. The second thing I'll share is earlier this year, 
out of my three different clients that I'm working with personally, well, there were three studios that all went into a big pitch mm. and they were super excited. They were, you know, these were multi six figure size jobs mm -hmm. pitching against big, big names, you know, like the mill and the buck and these kinds of things. Oh, sure. And of course these are amazing opportunities mm -hmm. and all three of these studios lost. Mm. And I wasn't able to kind of get into the middle of that process because of timeliness and mm -hmm. other things. But here's what happened. After they got the bad news and I was doing my weekly call with each of these studios and I was debriefing and I was asking them questions. The biggest question I asked them was, why do you think that you lost? And they, they all had these interesting answers mm -hmm. like, well, you know, when we were on the call, it was kind of hard to do and say this because of Zoom. Or, you know, we should have put idea number two in the deck first instead because mm -hmm. it would have flowed a lot better. Or we should have included a thank you page mm. on the deck that said this and said that and on and on and on, you know? And I heard all these things and I just started to get really, really curious. And I asked each one of them, what if you were always the third bid? And they had this blank look on their stare. And then they started to realize, oh, <laughs> like, yeah, you were never going to win that pitch. Right, right. You were never going to win. I'm, I hate to say this mm -hmm. to you, mm -hmm. but guess what? In every pitch, there's always a favorite. Mm -hmm. Someone at Apple was talking to one of my other clients that runs a studio. And this person at Apple said, oh yeah, you know, when we do these competitive pitches, say with three different companies, yeah, we always have a favorite and the other two are just Hail Marys. Mm. Oh, wow. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah. I'm like, whoa, okay, don't <laughs> you want to know if you're the favorite or the Hail Mary going in? <laughs> right. How, right? How would you, how would you navigate that, that, mm -hmm. that process right. differently? Yeah. Right? It doesn't mean that I can guarantee you're going to win if you know if you're this or if you're that, but mm -hmm. it, it just gives you choices and it allows you to lead. It leads to better outcomes. Totally. Is, it, is there a way? So we're on the creative side of the conversation. I, I don't see any of those larger companies or maybe in the future, there's something different, but is there another mechanism that they can utilize to get pitches, bids, whatever? Like the idea that a boss is like, okay, go find me 10 people mm -hmm. and we're going to pick the best one. That seems to be like a default are you, business are you mindset like kind a, of thing. Like right? an infomercial right now where it's like, there's got to be a there's better way. There's got to be a better way, right? Like, I, well, right, maybe, right. But, but what can they do instead? Is there anything else that they have done that mm. you've seen or is that, is that changing in any way? Yes, it's, it's definitely changing because I will say there was a very, just a more toxic pitch culture back in the 90s mm. and it got better in the 2000s and it's mm. getting, it got even better in the, in the, 20 teens, if you will. So I think it's getting better all the time. In terms of a mechanism, like what I would love to see is a platform where mm. a mm. buyer could go out and start to start conversations with companies and find resources. But what I will say though is even that is kind of flawed because mm. it leads to almost like a police lineup type of a mentality mm -hmm. or like a dating site. Right, right. Where we're right. just looking at pretty pictures and we're saying, well, their, their work is pretty, but their work is pretty. Well, they, 
I like gold and they're, they're more blue. And <laughs> right. It's so subjective. Do they like I... long walks on the beach? Can right. we swipe left on that one? And then maybe, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So that's not really effective. So my thought really is, I don't know that it's a, a platform or a mechanism problem to be solved. I think it's a relational problem mm. to be solved because the, my challenge to studios, any creative company in today's world is one, you should be generating at least half or hopefully two thirds of your business through outbound and through marketing, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. not waiting for people to find you. Right. Right. Okay. Because when people find you and they say, Hey, do you want to come in and do you want to pitch? You're already behind the eight ball. Like it's mm-hmm. too late. Mm-hmm. They've already made the RFP right. and they're already commoditizing you. They're treating you like an order taker. It's too late. How do you get out ahead of that? You need to talk to that person mm-hmm. six months ago. Yeah, way yep, earlier. Yep, yep. Exactly. How do you do that? Yeah. You, 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 you reach out and you find these people and you really study them and you learn th- about them and what their problems are so that when you reach out and you start a conversation, you're telling them, hey, I think six months from now, you guys are going to have this need and we should start talking about that sooner than later. And this is what I say, totally. I call it getting out ahead of the pitch or getting out ahead of the RFP. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. rather than that project becoming an RFP in six months, they're going to say, no, I, I'm, I'm talking to Will. I don't, I, mm-hmm. I know exactly how to solve this problem. I know who yes. I'm going to work with. Right. That but see, we're lazy, sense. right? As, as creators, <laughs> we, we, kinda, uh, we sit around and we, we I wait. Feel, you know, I feel like, heard and like, seen. <laughs> Please, you know, like, I just want to do the work and just bring me the project. And then what I tell mm-hmm. people is, this is a quote from Jordan Brady, that like, getting the job is the job. Mm-hmm. That's actually the more difficult problem to solve. Once the job is in your lap and you have to do the work, of course, it's it's difficult. It's challenging. It takes all this expertise and creativity. But getting the job is just as much a part of understanding somebody and their needs and their problem and defining it and scoping it and mm-hmm. budging it and scheduling it and all that stuff <laughs> is right. so much part of the whole problem. Mm. Yeah. I, I compare it to internally in my head to riding a motorcycle. I don't know if you've ridden a motorcycle, but there's a clutch. And so as you release the clutch, there's this whole mechanism that has to engage with your engine. And so like you have to have a clutch, Mm. you have to have a thing that's going to connect to the engine. And so like, I always think of it as like, we need to engage in some way, you know? (laughs) Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. That's good. Cool. Well, so you're kind of touching a little bit on this idea of like trust (laughs) and trying to build relationships with potential clients at earlier throughout the process. Let's get rid of the RFP altogether. That'd be great. So especially in companies that are B2B, right? We're, we're operating on a business-to-business operation. How do you try to build that trust with potential clients as early as possible? And are you seeing any kind of specific trends within companies that you're working with? I'm sure there's tons of different approaches to create trust, especially in a day and age where like, you know, even in our case, we've worked with clients who We've never seen their faces because it's all been person. through email. Yeah. So, you know, how do you build trust through a text message or through, <laughs> you know, through a short formed piece of content? It's, it's a, I think there's lots of ways to approach it, but I'd be curious for your thoughts here. Well, I would say that the question you're, you're asking is a really good one because as I think mankind is evolving to, okay, to, to, to get a little bit meta here on this. Please, please. We're, we support it. <laughs> Yeah, we're moving more and more into an economy of trust mm. where people 
work together and engage with one another based more on trust than even expertise. Mm-hmm. Okay. You're gonna you're looking for expertise always. That's the thing you really want and, and capability. But of course, how do you access it? You access it through trust. So I think the question is a great one. And it's increasingly important more and more and more. And and where you find this, I think, being expressed is there are thousands of creative companies and shops and studios that are all desperate for work. Mm-hmm. And they're all like, hey, I put my website out there. Why am I not getting calls? Why am I not getting work? Mm-hmm. And you know, the 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 answer I think is is in a sense uh self-apparent. So that said, how do you build trust? I'm going to say it's pretty old fashioned. Mm-hmm. This goes back thousands and thousands of years. Like we as human beings, we know how to connect with one another and how to build relationships that form trust. And what I would say is, I'm going to quote my friend Joe Nash, because we just did this summit in New York two and a half weeks ago, where we brought in about 18 different principles from some really top leading studios to simply spend a whole day answering the question, how do the biggest and best studios in the world do business development. And you know what? One of the big things was trust. (laughs) That even though you might look at a big studio out there and say, oh, well, they just get all this work because dot, dot, dot. Right. Because they have this amazing portfolio. Oh, because they work with these big brands. Let me tell you something. That's a lie. And you're telling yourself that (laughs) Mm -hmm. because you're making excuses. Mm -hmm. The way that they win and the way that they beat you is because they're better and smarter, and they're building trust more than the next guy. That's it. It's always been that game. How do we do that? I would first of all say, quoting Joe here, you're never going to change somebody's mind in an email. That's fair. And I will go back to 15 years ago. When I was running Impossible, I had like an epiphany. And I said, you know what? I'm going to go to New York City, put myself out there, and see if I can develop some business from TV networks and entertainment companies in New York. Really bold. I can tell you all that whole story because it was terrifying and I almost (laughs) gave up and Mm. almost quit. Mm. But it worked. Okay. Fast forward a few years later, we were doing work for some of these major TV networks like the Discoveries of the World and MTV and all these kinds of people. Yeah. Just really, really awesome. It was a dream for me. Mm. When my peers, when they would hang out with me and they'd be like, man, impossible. You guys are killing it. You're doing this. You're doing that. How? How do you do it? And I would tell them, you want to know? Get on a plane. Right. (laughs) They'd be like, what do you mean? Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. I'd be like, dude, I'd be like, dude, I don't know how much more simply I can put this. Mm. I get on a plane. I go to New York. I reach out to people and say, I'm going to be in town. I would love to meet you. I would love to catch up with you, whatever. And then when I come back, I'm getting calls, Mm. right? They want to work with me. I'm like, if you would do the same thing, you would get those clients and you would get those projects. And they would look at me and be like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to do that. And they wouldn't. (laughs) (laughs) That is only one example, right? Um, It's Mm -hmm. only one example. Just take that idea though and now run it through your own filter and your own personality, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Through your own genius, if you will. For some people, they're amazing with text messaging, right? And Mm -hmm. WhatsApp. Maybe, Maybe it's you send handwritten notes. Mm -hmm. Maybe you call people and you send voice messages back and forth. Like it's what's the most human and arguably the most intimate way that you can connect with somebody Mm -hmm. 
And a lot of times people are like, but I don't know what to say. Mm. Mm. My challenge to that is do your freaking homework. (laughs) Yes. I'm like, if you Google somebody and you spend 20 minutes researching somebody, and I don't mean just reading their profile Mm -hmm. on LinkedIn, go way beyond that. Look at the school they went to, look at what articles they've written, things that they've contributed to, what clubs might they belong to, right? Mm -hmm. Look at them, find them on Facebook if you can. I mean, I don't want to be too creepy here, but you're, you're ultimately trying to be empathetic and understand somebody, right. get yeah. outside of your own box, okay? Get inside, walk a mile in their shoes so that when you reach out, you can start building a really solid, make a connection and build a relationship that leads to trust. Mm, that's awesome. Yeah, that's, I, that's I want to say, yeah, I wanted to acknowledge too is like, as somebody who A, loves travel, I am all about this, <laughs> uh, and B, as a studio that's actually doing this approach in the next couple of weeks, we're, we're really excited. So we're going to be, I'm going to be a test case for this and we'll let you know how it goes because we're really looking forward to it. We're going to be traveling the country and going to shake hands. So yep. looking forward to it. I applaud that. Mm-hmm. I, ha- I had one studio that is based in Rio mm. and they were kind of down to their last nickel. Again, I don't know what the currency is in Rio. Somebody help me out here. But, um, <laughs> the real. Oh, it's the, the real, the, yeah, Brazil, yeah. the Brazilian real, uh, I think. Yeah. So I didn't know they were down to their, their last real, but this was, again, maybe it's been now two years or so. Um, but I met with this person. He was in New York this past December, and he was like, oh, I'm in town. Let's get together. Let's have a drink and finally meet face to face. I'm like, yes, that sounds amazing because we've only seen each other on Zoom a hundred times. <laughs> and I remember asking him, I was like, tell me the difference between then and now. And he told me this whole story about, well, that was our last bit of money that we invested mm-hmm. in order to make this happen because we were broke. Basically, we were doing all of our work in Brazil and had all these problems, small budgets, clients are terrible, et cetera. Now I come to New York several times a year. It costs a fortune mm-hmm. in Brazilian currency to come right. to New York. Mm-hmm. Yes. He said, but on average, the projects that I can win from agencies here in New York are six times the budgets that we were doing in Brazil. Right, right. right. And he's like, he's like, it's been absolutely game changing. So just think mm-hmm. of all of these companies around the world that are trying to, like our shops, creative shops, that are yeah. trying to connect with these different companies, different brands, different agencies and things. There's a ton of opportunity once you decide to put down the stylus, <laughs> close the laptops, okay, st- step away from the screen yep. and yep. stop emailing, stop instant messaging, like just mm-hmm. get out in the real world. Yeah. I can't tell you how many emails, cold emails I get every single day. Hey, we should do this. And mm-hmm. I'm like, I never, one, I never have time to respond. But right. two, that's it's not like, I don't the even way to build trust. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. You're, you're hitting on a, a lot of a yeah. lot of points even- in, in I think in our day to day that Absolutely. we're like oh yeah we t- I totally understand that so I want to I want to look at the other side too so we're talking about sort of business owners a lot of the creatives that are out there right now they're freelancing they're doing a lot of work on their own they're becoming business owners without them maybe realizing it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and mm-hmm. those creatives now we're saying okay go travel go go mm-hmm. find some extra work what advice would you have for those creatives looking to communicate that value communicate that potential? yeah because they're I think there is something there, like even just as a quick aside, when I talk to mentees who are interested in going into the animation field and I talk to them about networking, one of the biggest things that I tell them is like when you go to a networking event to like 
leave your iPad like closed right. because it sometimes will we'll almost use it as like a defense mechanism. It's like to a be crutch. Like, yeah. It's a crutch to say like, you know, hi, it's nice to meet you. Here's my portfolio. Please look at it. And that's not building a relationship one-on-one -on -one with that person. Right. Like I want, I'm here to get to know you and then we can, we can look at your portfolio anytime. So I, I think there's something to that, that like, you know, if we go travel and then we knock on somebody's door and we say, hey, nice to meet you. Here's our portfolio. Please take a look. That might not be the best also, strategy. Yeah, so. you're also putting yourself in, a, in the position of saying, my work is at the forefront of my brain when I'm talking to you, mm -hmm. rather than saying, who are you? Let me yeah, get yeah. to know you, this person in front of me. And again, your real, your portfolio, that's going to change over time <laughs> anyway. So Yeah, like, so yeah. I'm curious what advice you might have. Oh. Yeah. Well, it's funny, often in like marketing and sales, we use dating as an mm. analogy because yes. it, it it has a lot of application. It yeah. truly does, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm just imagining, right? Like imagine if you were someone who was dating and you're sitting there at the bar and somebody walks up to you and they immediately like hold out a photo album and started showing them <laughs> you pictures of themselves. Yes. Right? Like here's, here's pictures of me. Mm -hmm. Here's me oh, on my cool. motorcycle, right? Here's me camping. Here's mm -hmm. me going on a, on a trip to France last year. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's kind of like, it's not that that's bad information. Right. It's, it's, there's nothing wrong with that. It's, it's not what, it's when. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. right. Okay. It's, yes. it's not what, yes. it's when. Okay. So it's like, save that for, you know, date number five or 10. Okay. <laughs> or maybe never, maybe never pull those pictures out. <laughs> you know, who at some point, some, you should know at some point yeah. what the photos are happening. <laughs> They're not flattering. Yeah. yeah. I think it, it reveals the fact that we're so, you know, we're so desperate for connection and desperate yeah. for business and desperate mm -hmm. to win and all this mm -hmm. that we just get ourselves, I don't know, sidetracked. Mm -hmm. yeah. We think we just don't know what else to do. So we go here, you know, mm -hmm. look at this. And what I always encourage people to do that are trying to find a way to make a connection is do a little preparation, you know, research before you go to the event or something, find out maybe who the organizer is, mm -hmm. find out what kind of people are going to be there. Just do a little reading, read an article or two and be like, oh, people in this room do, are facing these kinds of problems. They're excited about these kinds of opportunities. So you've got a little bit of ammo that you can talk intelligently with people. Yeah. But then I would say when you get to that event, you go and find that organizer, yeah. the person in the room whose job it was to put that event together mm -hmm. and you go up to them and what do you do? you're going to be vulnerable, right? You're going to be like, hey, Betsy, I'm Joel. So nice to meet you. Thank you for putting this event together. Can I be honest? I am total fish out of water here. I'm new. I don't know a soul in this room, but I would love to meet some people. This is who I am. This is kind of who, what I do and everything. Can you maybe introduce me to a few people that you think would be interesting? And she's going to be like, heck yes, come with me. Let <laughs> yes, me go over and introduce so you true. to Bob and to Larry and whatever. Mm -hmm. And off you go. And then what I would say, part two, is ask questions. Mm. People love to talk about themselves. Always. That's always. True. Just <laughs> ask really good questions. And it's so funny. I was at a, I, I, I've been noticing lately, like last night I had dinner with this new friend of mine who I was on his podcast recently. His mm. name's Rob. Mm. And something happened. And it reminded me of something that happened two weeks ago when I was at a rooftop party. Mm. It reminded me of something else that happened a month ago <laughs> when I was at a dinner. And it, what, what's, the, what's the thing? Somebody asking me really good questions. Mm, mm. Yeah. Not questions like, so, you know, so what are you up to these days? No. Mm -hmm. 
right? Where are you from? No. Okay. We can, <laughs> sure. We can talk about those things. The question I got last night that I really loved was, so you like to travel where, what's the place you went to this past year that most surprised you? Mm, that's a great question. Yeah. Oh, I'm like, Dang. yes, I like, yes. <laughs> I was like, that's easy. It's Copenhagen. And Copenhagen <laughs> blew my mind. And then we talked and he was like, I've been there too. And we talked oh, about cool. Copenhagen nice. right for the next half hour and have all kinds, you know, it just, the conversation went, went yeah. from there. So awesome. those are, those are my two tips. Oh, totally. Oh, it definitely helps. Now we got to go to Copenhagen. Oh, we do. Naturally. Yeah. No. (laughs) And so, you know, that's really interesting because I think I also have that feeling of like when somebody asks a really good question, I'm like, oh, now we're going to get into it for like hours and we we can go all night. And so I'm, I I wonder if there's like a fine line there as well, because I think I know, and I think Mm. there's a, how am I, I'm trying to phrase this the right way. It's almost like knowing within yourself where you can be vulnerable and where you need to like sometimes step back a little bit because I'm the type of person that's like for transparency I like made a board game recently to have conversations about death and so like I am the type of person that will like immediately start the conversation and be like oh so tell me about some of those experiences that you've had in your life that are like really deep and meaningful and like sometimes that can be like off-putting so I think there's a there's like a almost like this balance, balance. yeah yeah that you get into like this flow of how to have good conversation you know yeah Yeah. here's a couple things I, I've learned that, that might be helpful. Mm. One is I teach this all the time, especially mm. when studios are having tough conversations with clients mm. and we're like, oh, how am I going to tell them that there's an overage or how am I going to tell yes. them that we totally <laughs> dropped the ball or whatever? Mm-hmm. And the lesson I teach is it's only awkward if you're awkward. Yes. Mm. Yes. <laughs> okay. Which means if I come from a place of totally relaxed, totally confident, totally comfortable, then it's easy. Mm-hmm. I can tell you, hey, by the way, we went into an overage, so I'll be working up those numbers to, to send that over to you. And then I move on to the next point and the next point. And mm-hmm. it's like, no problem. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. right. The other thing I would say is, I think it's just, it's a, it, the one way to be a kind human is to always give people an out. Mm-hmm. So that, what it means is you don't really put people on the spot. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm thinking of your things about death. Catholic. Yeah, you're yeah. Like, hey, I just, I just met you. And you're like, hey, do you think there's such a thing as life after? after right. <laughs> yep, okay. yep, I knew. You're, you're, yeah. you're putting that person on the spot. And totally. what that means is they don't, they don't have an exit ramp mm-hmm. if they're not comfortable. Okay. So a, the way to think of it is how can I ask this question in such a way that if the person decides to take the question in, in a different direction or they need to bail because they're uncomfortable, just give them an out, mm-hmm. right? So one example could be, hey, I have a really interesting question for you. Actually, I have two questions. Mm -hmm. Tell you what, let me ask you both and then you pick the one Mm -hmm. that you're most interested in. That's really cool. So then I'm giving the person agency and saying, hey, I'm going to ask you a weird question about death and I'm going to ask you this other question about, you know, what's your, (laughs) what, you know, what's the best city that you've been to in the last year that surprised you? And they might pick the first one. We don't know. They might, they might be like, you know what? I, you know, I just recently had a loved one who passed away and that's actually a really interesting question. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes perfect sense. I think there's something there too about like, especially for creative folks who are more on the introverted side to start getting comfortable with that yeah. idea. It does take some practice, right? Definitely. It takes the effort of like 
maybe even screwing up a couple of times and like feeling that that feeling of like, oh, that was so awkward. I can't believe I asked it that way. But we don't learn unless we go through that process and it'll get, I, I believe, you know, for me, I think it gets easier over time, but through practice. As you get yeah. older with practice, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you have to keep that in mind to practice, right? The youngest mm. generation of artists are maybe like avoiding the like outside world and staying in their bubbles and like, I don't know yeah. I have I, you, I get you feel the opposite. opposite you feel opposite yeah, yeah I, I don't know there's yeah. times where like you know we've worked with interns before and we've had just like mm. a lot of the interviewing process now for the younger generation has been so different than when mm. I started and was getting interviewed because they ask me very honest and real questions mm. about like you know being conscious right. of their like their journey and their lives and mm. where they are in in their place and and asking us like oh what are your what are your policies around like mental health needs and how we are you know have, yeah we yeah did and have, so yeah. like yeah. that I think is just so wonderful to see I think they're that's true I, I don't know I don't know if it's a generational thing we we could get into that all day yeah, I'm that's sure a whole other <laughs> whole other <laughs> that's a different podcast <laughs> but yeah um, I think there's something there about just like giving yourself the space to be able to explore and practice and fail and, you know, make the mistake and learn from it too. Yeah. So, yeah. but yeah. <laughs> well, also don't, don't, uh, don't lose sight. Also, sometimes it's fun to just play a game with yourself mm. and gamify those situations. Yeah. So if you walk into a room and you're kind of like, ah, I don't know if I'm really comfortable here, you just play a game with yourself. You're like, you say, okay, Joel, you've got 30 minutes to meet three people and then you can bail. There you go. So you you can you can get out you can get out of here as soon as you've met three people, and then it becomes a game. And you might even, I mean, this is how I roll. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Is I love I love using honesty and vulnerability to my advantage mm. in a way. And you have to be comfortable in your own skin. But imagine walking up to somebody and being like, "Hey, my name is Joel. I made a bet with myself that I could meet three people <laughs> yes. in thirty minutes, I and love you're this. my first person. So I just want to say hi." I don't know you and hello. <laughs> and go. all of a sudden the person is laughing mm -hmm. and they're like, oh my God, that's so cool. Like, you know, and then off you go. Yeah. yeah. So just, you know, play games with yourself because yeah, we get all spun up over these situations that really aren't, I don't know, they're not as dramatic and painful as we make them out to be. It's our fears that make them larger than they actually are. Totally. Yeah. Our our, our business therapist would say like, it's always worse in your head. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But I yeah. think what, yeah. what I love about that too is like in, in the game that you've created, like it drives the entrepreneurial brain because you're specific. It's like a smart goal. Like <laughs> you're like, I'm specifically going to meet three people in 30, in 30 minutes. minutes. And that, like, yeah, yeah. Exactly right. yeah. Here's my criteria. Yes. It's, it's I, I love that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's a smart goal. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, yeah. I want to keep uh, time in mind. So, I know because yeah. we could keep we going, keep for going hours. forever. Yeah. Thank but... you so much for joining us. I I want to give you a chance to plug your stuff because I know that there's a lot that people can learn from and yes. go to. And there's, there's so there. much. <laughs> yeah. So where can people oh learn more about RevThink and and where would you send them? Well, of course, certainly feel free to find me on social media, simply Joel Pilger. You can usually find me at LinkedIn or Instagram. I hang out there a little bit. But my recommendation would be to go to revthink.com and you'll see, right? I mean, we are very much focused on the creative business owner and creative business leader. But if that's you, the best place to start, and you guys know this, is our community. You yeah. know, it's still it's, it's still currently free. Yeah. You have to apply, you know, you have to be qualified to join that community. And then once you're inside there, 
If the time is right, you might consider joining Confab, which is a weekly roundtable mm. that I that I host and curate. And then, of course, about three times a year, we run accelerators, which are basically classes that are focused on different areas and, and topics and stuff. And some of them are for smaller shops and some are for more medium and some are for mm. like larger, more mature, advanced companies. And then once somebody has been through one of those, they'll often raise their hand and say, hey, I need personal help from you. Mm -hmm. And if they're ready, then sometimes I will actually engage and work with a client one-on-one -on -one in an engagement uh, as awesome. their consultant. So <laughs> that's kind of what my world looks like. Oh, and I should also mention we have a podcast as well. Oh, the please. Yes. yes. Podcast. So of we've, course, we've, uh, we've listened to it. People yeah. should jump into that. Yeah. Many hours of content to go yeah, back on. Yeah. You guys have been going. How long has a podcast been going? That it's I feel like it's been a long time. I wanna say it's been around like seven years, yeah. I wow. think. And um I'm actually recommitting to getting like that back on a good bi weekly schedule mm -hmm. so that nice. we start really cranking out good uh, consistent content again because we've we got busy this past year. Yeah. Mm. But that's awesome because I imagine too that like it must be interesting to go back and, and listen to some too. And like, even just the shift in like technology and approach, yeah. like is, is always evolving. So it's like, really interesting. Yeah. I yeah. started your podcast super early. So I'm like listening to early episodes. And mm. so like, you can hear the, like the difference in both quality, but also like advice and, and how, how the economy changed yeah, over that time, yeah. which is kind of interesting. It's kind of a weird, yeah. like historical snapshot. That's um, so interesting. Yeah. Something yeah. like, yeah, like COVID happened. Right. right? Yeah. Wow. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. That, 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 that little thing yeah. that called right, COVID. Right, right, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Cool. Yeah, yeah. It's, been a, it's been a journey. But it, honestly, it's, it's such a privilege for me because I look at these creative business owners and these leaders. This is my tribe. These are my people. I lived this life. So what I get to do on a daily basis is help them succeed and thrive. So I get to like vicariously experience all these victories and the occasional losses um, <laughs> along the way. Yeah. So yeah, for me, it's, it's really, it's really fantastic. And I, and I appreciate the opportunity to come on and talk with you guys about all of it. Oh, definitely. Yeah, and yeah. for that, we say thank yeah, you thank for what you, you do. Absolutely. Like that's, yeah. that's amazing. So yeah. Yeah. I've gotten so much help out of the community. I mean, I'm, I'm usually in the background <laughs> and just kind of skimming and reading, but you know, every once in a while I, I'll try to give my advice wherever mm -hmm. I can. And it's been super helpful. Like I feel like it, it, everyone's really open. It's fantastic. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's a wonderful community. Yeah. So thank you for what you do. We appreciate it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Awesome. You're so welcome. You're so welcome. <laughs> All right. Well, with that. We'll think... see you at Camp MoGraph. We yes. will definitely see you in Colorado. <laughs> awesome. Um, maybe at, even at the airport? I don't Who know. Who knows? Maybe we'll see. We'll, we'll see. <laughs> maybe so. <laughs> but I'll definitely see you guys around, around the campfire there in yes. Colorado. So looking forward to that. That'll awesome. be so fun. All right. Thank All you. Right. All right. This episode was brought to you by eMedia. Our producer is Jackson Foote. Our music was created by Hidden and licensed through premiumbeat.com. And until next time, stay honest, stay creative, stay open. Open Pixel Studios, we will see you in the next episode.